How do we conquer our fear of the unknown? We've discussed a number of horror films on our show thus far, and at the end of the day, almost all of their scariest elements come down to fear of the unknown. Cannibal families, demonic cults, seeing dead people. They're all really bizarre and frightening because of it. But sometimes, even things closer to home can be just as elusive. Say, something we share our oceans with, maybe? Steven Spielberg understood this when he ignited his career with Jaws, one of cinema's first ever blockbusters. But there's more to it than just fear. In fact, according to today's guest, it's more so a movie about facing your fear. Taylor D. Adams is a fellow storyteller and podcaster based in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's produced over 200 episodes of television, in part through his production company, Scrapped Productions, and has had his work featured through NBC, ESPN, PBS, and more. He is the host of the Film Nuts podcast, where he talks to artists of all backgrounds and concentrations about their favorite movies and television shows. Today, however, the turns have tabled, and now he will be talking about his favorite movie, Jaws. In the aftermath of another successful Shark Week, Taylor is here to talk to us all about how Jaws taught him and can help teach us the key to conquering our fear of the unknown. Hello and welcome to My Favorite Movie Is, a podcast sharing the stories behind how an all-time favorite movie earns that title. I'm your host, Larry Freed. I'm a filmmaker, writer, and podcaster. And every week I sit down with a fellow cinephile who, through their one-of-a-kind insights, will help us rethink one of the greatest movies of all time. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sure you listen to plenty of film podcasts, and I am honored that this show is amongst them. Before we go any further, just know that if you haven't seen the movie we're talking about today, don't worry. You can keep listening for now. We will eventually have to dive into the nitty gritty, but we'll be sure to give you a proper warning before we dive deep into spoiler territory. But for those of you who did the homework, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of My Favorite Movie Is. Hi, my name is Taylor D. Adams, and my favorite movie is Jaws. I remember movies film as early as four years old. Um, I don't remember like the first movie I saw, but some of my earliest memories of film were uh, split between the types of movies that my mom, my stepdad and myself would see and types of movies that my dad and myself would see. I lived with my mom, and my stepdad for most of the time. And then probably every other weekend I saw my dad. They were all good movies. They were just different tastes. So like with my dad, uh, at four years old, I saw True Lies and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, so That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> my dad and I would always probably go see more raunchy stuff just because my dad was a little like, less protective of my innocence or whatever. So we'd go see um, movies like Snatch when I was 12, um, like Guy Ritchie film. Or oh we'd go, we'd go, you know, or, or I'm like 10 years old and we go see like Dude, Where's My Car? So like it's a it's not quite incredible, age appropriate, incredible. but it's it, it's there. And then with my mom, and my stepdad, like they had um, they had E.T. on VHS. And so we would watch that. And I remember the first time watching that, I was four years old and I was crying my eyes out at the end because I was so wow. sad that spoilers, E.T. went home. 
Um, I was just so I was just so upset. That's the that's the earliest memory I have of being like emotionally moved by a movie, which coincidentally was another Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah, look at that, huh? That was good for me to get a sense of what kinds of movies exist and what are my favorites. And I have favorites in both camps. And I think that's really important to kind of have this. It was an unintentional, well-rounded film viewing childhood. (laughs) Would you say Jaws was more of a dad film than a mom film? It was actually probably more of um, uh, my stepdad film um, because he... The coveted third uh, (laughs) piece of the Triforce. He's a big fan of watching movies that just happen to be on TV. And Jaws just happened to be on a lot of the time. Specifically TNT. I felt like at 2 p.m. every day, Jaws was on. I didn't watch it every time it came on, but it was just kind of always in existence. I can't remember what made me want to sit down and watch it. Everybody I knew that was older than me had seen it and liked it. And so I just thought I should watch it because it's a thing that grownups like. This was an example of like a movie. This was like a big deal, like a big blockbuster. It's just got this power to it that's really impressive. And it's the earliest example. This was the movie that I saw that I was like, at that point in time, I was like, oh, movies now like we're making movies and granted there's a bunch of stuff that you know there's three quarters of a century uh that has passed since the early dawning of film but for some reason everything about this movie clicked as this is what a movie should be um it should be fun it should have meaning it there should be some mystery behind it as well there should be um good relationships within it and you should have a couple iconic quotes in there as well like just something super memorable And so that's what kind of drew me to it. And then I became like, I became almost obsessed with sharks and and sea life in general. My family and I would watch Shark Week whenever it was on. My stepdad, my mom and I used to go fishing a lot too. And so, you know, we didn't, we didn't catch, we didn't catch a great white or anything like that. But I was, I was maybe like eight and I caught like a four foot long sandbar shark. And I thought it was really cool. I'm a big fan of Ocean Conservancy. I donate to the Ocean Conservancy like once a year. And I watch a lot of documentaries and I'm very uh, um, aware of my carbon footprint. You know, if you it, it, it dove deep into kind of this like appreciation of more of nature than anything, I think. And I maybe one day wanted to create something like that or whatever. I'm not sure. I don't know if it subconsciously instilled in me the desire to like m- make stuff. The earliest example I can think of of making something that was on film or tape or whatever was with my older cousin. And he had a, him and his family had a VHS camera. And he built like kind of this, I can't remember exactly what it was made of. It was, might have been made of Legos, just like a Lego city. And for some reason, they also in their house had a child's Godzilla costume. And so they put me in the child's Godzilla costume and filmed me just like rampaging on this Lego city. Amazing. I remember this one. I remember this one moment. He like wrote the credits down on a sheet of paper and was filming them and reading them. And my six-year-old self is in the background, like laughing because I'm having so much fun. Um, <laughs> so that was my first, probably my first like introduction to like making something. Even though at the time I wasn't like cinema, you know, I wasn't like making. Yeah. <laughs> I got a uh, I got a camera um, when I was about 13. My dad gave me a camera. He got it for me. A, because he knew I was into movies and we bonded a lot over movies. And so he's like, this is like the default thing to do. 
and I had been wanting a camera for a long time and coincided with us going up to Alaska because my dad uh, at the time was a marathon runner and he was running a marathon up in Anchorage. And so I went with him and I recorded like the whole time. I just thought it was like really cool to just record stuff. We do some sightseeing, you know, I film him finishing the race. Um, there's also this like really dramatic subplot of our trip that uh, my dad, one of my dad's best friends in high school, he moved to Alaska and he eventually passed away at kind of an early age. And my dad never get to like say goodbye or anything, you know, uh, related to closure. So there was this B subplot of like my dad tracking down where his friend was buried and then going to see him. And so that was, I don't know at the time if that impacted me enough to be like, oh, look at the emotion I can capture. You know, I'm, I don't think it was, I was thinking of it like that, but there was probably something subconscious about like, look at all the different things that can be captured on mini DV, <laughs> which was the, the format of the camera. Amazing. Yeah. And you never ended up editing any of that footage. Is that correct? No, I didn't. I didn't know what editing was. Like we just captured it. It was like six <laughs> hours of the thing, man. I don't I don't even know where those tapes are. I think my dad might still have them. But yeah, <laughs> somewhere you have to unearth that. It's going to be the next great Sundance <laughs> they, indie doc. They, I don't even know if those tapes are still in working condition. That's the thing. They might not be. Are there also some tapes that like after a certain number of years, they like they does they like crumble like they can't really even be touched i'm sure i mean i know film is super fragile but i'm right, sure i'm course. sure tapes are not far behind as far as degradation i assume you made a lot of projects with your friends and things like that were there any highlights any fun any fun things you guys made yeah we um let's see me and my neighbor sam used to just like run around the woods Blair Witch style <laughs> with the camera and just recording whatever um there's i still have some of the videos uh on my hard drive somewhere uh we we had a really nice snow and we went down to the hill and just like recorded ourselves sledding down the snow and but we would like you know early jackass days i guess we'd like try to build a snow ramp but it wasn't quite good enough so we just run head on we would sled head on into the oh snow my goodness pile. that also became my my medium of choice for uh free-for-all projects in school so, and sometimes it was for fun and sometimes it was for a project in school. So instead of like my final paper for AP English, I made like a video. Nice. Um, and my friends and I did a spoof of sports center with puppets, um, nice. stuff like that. And then I had, and then I had in Latin class, me and my buddy for a final project, we wrote and direct wrote and directed a, I don't know if you want to call it a short film because I would say it's just a stupid video but it's <laughs> us like it's us like uh, things we have learned in Latin class and like uh, ancient Roman history incorporated into uh, a little digital short yeah just stuff like that is kind of like opportunities that I saw in order to would I rather write a paper or would I rather make a video and I'd rather make a video <laughs> Yeah, I made videos too all the time. There is the, you really there is such an important transition from stupid video to short film that every, <laughs> yeah, 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 that every yeah. filmmaker needs to make yeah. at some point, and you never quite know when it happens until after the fact. I didn't even know that I wanted to like be a filmmaker. Like I, I <laughs> that wasn't ever in my like uh, conscious. Like I wasn't exposed to enough of the art behind making movies that I, that that's what I wanted to do. Like I just enjoyed the medium that I was working in and what could I do with that? I ended up going to um, NC state university down here in Raleigh. And then down here, that's when I, I discovered more of the 
art behind film my my sophomore year of college when I started actually taking film arts application film courses and then that opened up a whole new world to me as far as uh, meaning and, and technique and watching stuff that you don't necessarily like but you appreciate about um that you can learn from and then stuff that you saw and you're like oh my god this why well, i haven't seen this movie before this is so cool like that kind of thing do you have any formative films from that period that were like you watch them either for the first time or for the first time with those eyes and it totally just changed your perspective the first one that comes to mind is actually blues brothers nice um so i had seen blues brothers in high school and then when in my intro to film class one of our i think our midterm or something was write a paper analyzing a scene and they showed movies that you could choose from and i happened to own blues brothers and that was on there and i was like yeah i'll just do this and then i just picked a scene i ended up writing something about the um the church scene uh, in Blues Brothers. And I noticed as I was like basically listing down all the things that I was noticing, I'm like, this is really cool to just analyze something that I've just been watching for fun. Um, and that was my first introduction to like just making, paying more attention to the things that go into making a, a film or a movie. Outside of like that stuff for school, uh, the movies that started coming out around that time were movies that I just, with this knowledge already, I started appreciating and, and, and paying more attention to like, um, like when little miss sunshine came out, I thought it was like such a sweet movie. And I was like really into the, that was probably an early introduction. to like indie art, art cinema kind of. Um, so like movies like that were just more on my radar. And then also the people that I was meeting were into other movies that I'd never heard before. And so we started watching, um, like Donnie Darko and Sin City and I had never heard of or seen these movies before. And so I started like watching them with them and then and we'd all buy tickets to go see these things on a plane and stuff like that. So <laughs> again, that balance, man. That yeah. Got to get a balance. Yeah. Was Jaws a movie that you rediscovered during, during this period? Uh, yes, it was. Um, I had it and I would watch it from time to time and just really appreciate more of what went into it, like looking at theme a little bit better and looking how, you know, a dolly zoom actually works, that iconic dolly zoom from Jaws um, and noticing things like you hear the, the iconic score before you even see any kind of visual on screen other than text. Just noticing these little details. I was really into it. And then I started, I don't know how, but I started discovering more of behind the scenes kind of stuff about the movie, like the the mechanical shark's name was bruce like stuff like that was <laughs> super interesting to me to find out just the fact that there's all these layers that go into into making a film and my whole life and has inspired me in a bunch of different ways either to do things or think differently about things and here it comes we are officially entering spoiler territory for those of you who want to go into this film as fresh as possible this is where we part if you've been enjoying the show so far and you want more My Favorite Movie Is, I encourage you to check out more episodes on our show page on the podcasting app you're listening on right now. Or find all of our episodes at mfmipodcast.com. We've covered plenty of other movies, and any movie lover worth their salt has surely seen at least one of them. But alright, enough dilly-dallying, let's dive into spoiler territory. What is <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hooper, that's the USS Indianapolis. You were on the Indianapolis? 
before it happened. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady. He just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. A scene that that I've become more appreciative of as time has gone on is the USS Indianapolis scene. Um, because when you're a kid, that's the boring part. <laughs> it, it's it's adults sitting around talking and showing off scars while they're drunk. Like as a kid, whatever, <laughs> show me shark. Like, you know, but the more, you know, the, the, the older I get and the more, um, knowledgeable I become about certain things, that scene really sticks out to me again. And also the fact that I like know the story of the USS Indianapolis pretty well, hearing, you know, a fictional firsthand account of it is so impactful. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. Quentin is like, I would say relatively one-dimensional in this sense. He wants to kill a shark. And it's because sharks killed all his friends. And so that scene has a lot more impact for me because I am noticing how it plays out more. I'm paying more attention to it because I have a more of, a, more of an appreciation. It makes me feel more compassion for the character. And then in relation, in gen I mean, I already try to think I feel like this, but in that sense, maybe it hopefully affects the viewer into having compassion for people outside of the movie that you're watching. Um, Cause you don't know what they have gone through. Like Quint is this grizzled old stereotypical sea captain in some way, but then you find out the story and you're and you understand him a little bit more. And I think for me, I just feel a sad for the character and I understand him more. Um, but as far as like how it personally affects me, I just think it, instills in me something that I hope is already there about learning to listen to why people do what they do. Do you feel that way about other characters in the film? I feel like with Hooper, I kind of always understand Hooper. I mean, from the first time, when the first time he gets there, he's this is his mission. Like, I'm going to figure this out and we're going to solve this problem. And it's very, it's just problem oriented. And then Chief Brody is kind of cool because you like learn a little bit more as the first half of the film goes on, like these more, like these, the layers of the onion get peeled back a little bit more about why he is what he is. You know, there's that great line about uh, his fear of water and is there a technical term for it? I guess it's a childhood thing. It's a, there's a clinical name for it, isn't there? Drowning. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I know, scene. It's, I, I laugh so oh, hard. It's iconic, iconic <laughs> moment. I pay more attention to how much I learn about him within the first half of the movie, like learning that he didn't want to be in New York City anymore because he felt like he couldn't make a difference. Um, so he moved to a small town, but it happens to be <laughs> it happens to be an island that is surrounded by water and he doesn't like water. But when you're on the island, you don't know it's an island. Like he says something along right. those lines. Doesn't make much sense for a guy who hates the water to live on an island either. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. That makes a lot of sense. There's always something new to see, um, even if you can quote the movie line by line. On the personal side of things, I mentioned it earlier, just my curiosity and appreciation for uh, nature. Um, if I want to be specific about aquatic life, I can. But I think just in general, even though the shark is the villain in the movie, um, he is the monster that needs to be taken down. Like 
there's a level of understanding that needs to go into it. And like I said, with Hooper, like he knows how these sharks work, or at least has the theories of how these sharks work because they're constantly figuring out what they do. So just that kind of curiosity to like learn more about this thing that we're so scared of, because if we learn more about it, then hopefully that takes away the fear of something. And so I think that's what it's been like on a personal level is the things that scare me, I should find out more about. I know there are certain things that we're not supposed to understand, but I think I think that's what it is for me is this was the first film where I identified this this meme thing, this evil thing, this monster, but is a, a thing that actually occurs in nature. There's stories all over the news every summer about shark attacks and, and fear gets stricken everywhere. And so to learn more about what is actually going on, it's helpful. It adds a sense of control, which I think everybody wants at some point in their life, even if they're, they feel like they can't control a lot of things. If they can control what they learn about something, then that might affect it. And that leads, that whole talk leads into kind of how it's influenced me professionally in that you never know what kind of power a film is going to have on something. When Peter Benchley wrote the book and then the movie came out, a couple of years later, he said he regretted ever coming up with the story because he started dedicating a lot of his free time and his resources to shark awareness and ocean conservancy because it it sparked this terror of people just going out. Like literally they had like shark bounty hunters that would just go out and kill sharks. Like life imitates art, imitates life. Like that's I was literally about to say that. It actually, literally. It, like it actually happened. It's pretty like, frightening. Yeah. yeah. That was the thing that happened. I'm so glad Jaws exists, but I understand Peter Benchley's regret because it can have that effect on something. Then you have a movie like Jurassic Park that comes out. Nobody's like, afraid of those because di dinosaurs don't exist. I mean, the dinosaurs that exist are the chickens that live across the street from me. Like that's, that's the closest thing we have. Like that's, that's literally, that's literally it. Weird flex, but okay. No, I'm just, I, it's not a, I, don't, I'm, I don't have chickens. <laughs> I, I don't have chickens. They have chickens. Oh, you just casually live next to dinosaurs. Dumb, that's, that's fat, chill. delicious dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, there's, there's just this, you never know what kind of power a film is going to have over people. And it could be people like people, capital P people, or just subsets of people. You never know. Um, and just this film has inspired so many things, both positive and negative for film, for the animal at the center of it, for a lot of things. And is that, is that something you strive for in your work, both positive and negative? I, I do. Well, hopefully, Whatever I do is has a positive influence on something. Right, um, but I mean, look at, let me look at Jaws, right? No, it could. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Right out of school, I graduated in 2009. I got a job uh, as a car salesman. <laughs> I actually I actually listened to a podcast the way you said uh, that. It was, uh, that was the worst job I ever had. Um, I worked there for three months. <laughs> but since that job ended, my life and career has had some kind of production e thing in it. I've been an intern in a post-production house. I ended up being a, uh, a web intern for NC State Athletics, my alma mater. And that's kind of where I started to get um, more reps in, uh, I guess, as far as making stuff. Um, so I was an intern there for two years. I worked closely with a guy who was producing their TV show at the time. And I got close with him. I wanted to, because I wanted to work in TV. Like, like I said, growing up, I watched TV all the time. That's what I wanted to do. I stayed close to him. And then when he left, I, t I was able to take over making their television show. Um, and I did so for uh, three years. 
and I got really burnt out. Like it's, it's really long hours. Um, it's work almost seven days a week, um, for eight months straight. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's really much a grind, but you know, when you're 24, like it's not a big deal. I had reached a point where I wanted to take a break. I was burnt out and I wanted to make stuff that I wanted to make. And so that's when I founded Scrapped. My mission with Scrapped is to make stuff that is important to me. For a lot of my career, uh, I have felt like I've had to make a lot out of nothing or I put a lot, if, if I don't have the equipment or the resources, I at least put my all into it and my enthusiasm. And that's where kind of the name Scrapped comes from. Like otherwise my product might be thrown in the trash. Um, because it's not maybe up to a more professional standard that might already exist. But that, I wasn't gonna let that stop me from making stuff I wanted to make. I spent um, probably a year just making my own digital content. Like we made at least, I think we made 60 videos in one year. Um, wow. And just- Those it, are good numbers. Yeah. Those are good and, numbers. And it was it's all uh, interview-based stuff. Like we talk with um, hip hop artists in their community, shine a light on them, give them some exposure. And some of the people we've interviewed are now like DJs for Apple Music and they got signed by major record labels. And then we also had a show where I would interview people while we drank beer, um, do stuff like that. And then my partner, Nicole, um, I helped her create a small show about the stories of her parents who immigrated from Vietnam. And so we were doing just kind of like stories that I didn't really see uh, either in subject matter or in style. That led into me going back to NC State um, with an idea to do a documentary um, for them uh, based off of, not based off, but inspired by my um, watching of Last Chance You on Netflix. It was a phenomenal show. And so I started making documentaries for NC State Athletics for another three years and then I got burned out again. And this was 2020. The last show I made was when everything shut down because we were filming a basketball tournament and then they shut it down. You know, I am a freelancer, but I work for myself. I work for my company, Scrapped. And since then, we've just been uh, busy doing a lot of uh, different things. Um, we've been making educational content. We've been making wildlife documentary content, doing a bunch of different stuff. And then some of it's for pay and then some of it is for fun. And one of the fun things we do is um, the Film Nuts podcast, which I started two or three years ago. It's hard to keep track, but we're in our third season right now. So there's that. I was having trouble connecting with people because of lockdown. And I feel like a lot of people started a podcast during lockdown. What makes one special um, over the other? Um, whatever. You know, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Taylor, I don't know what you're talking about. What is what is this whole, what are, yeah. what are you talking about? So, and it was, I didn't even have like a, a goal. Like I didn't want to like, oh, this is my new job. Like I just, I just wanted to like talk to people. And the way that I connect best with people is probably by either food or things we watch. And so, I had this concept um, for the Film Nuts podcast where I talk to people about what they love to watch, whether it be movies or whether it be TV. I think it'd be, I think it'd be fun later on to do maybe a couple of video game themed episodes, but I wanted to hear why certain things were important to certain people and why they, why, why they liked watching them so much. And it didn't have to be the Citizen Kane. It could be Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> it could be, it could be anything. Um, That's a great little rhyme right there. I know. I, I, I did it unintentionally until the very last minute. Um, Amazing. Amazing. My basic mission with everything I create is I need to be passionate about it and not force myself to bring passion to it. I learned this a couple of years ago. I was feeling kind of like uh, burnout with what I was doing and I was unsure if what I was making was having any kind of impact on anything. Like, was anybody looking at it? Like, 
didn't matter to anybody. Quintessential struggle for everyone. Yeah. And then, you know, somebody will like tweet at me, Hey, I watch the latest episode. This is so well done. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ever asking for something like that. And then I'd have people like, Oh, Hey, I saw this, um, for your school. I want to do it at my school, this documentary. And I'm like, Oh wow, that's really cool. And like two, that's two people. I don't have fan mail. I don't have droves of people uh, knocking on my door to like, tell me how awesome I am. Like, that's not, you don't know what kind of impact you're going to have and what you do is basically what I'm saying. So when people are feeling down as filmmakers about what they're doing, just know that whether they think it or not, there's somebody that they're affecting and they probably don't even know them once they see it. You might not ever meet them as well, but know that whatever you're doing has an impact and definitely has the potential to have an impact on somebody. If that's the reason you're in quote unquote, the business, like I think that's a pretty good, I think that's a pretty good reason to, to, to be in it. And if you're something, somebody makes has a negative impact on somebody or negative impact on a situation, then the person who makes it needs to understand that something negative has happened and try to understand and possibly correct I'm not saying that it's sole responsibility, but I think whatever we make as creators, as filmmakers, um, as uh, podcasters, as news anchors, like whatever, like it doesn't matter if you're, if you're making something, it just, if you're making something, you have a, a responsibility to own what you're doing. And a lot of people don't do that. Like they don't have a sense of, ownership or a sense of pride or a sense of responsibility. It all goes hand in hand with what you're making. Um, just know that you're making something because you have an intention. You have to acknowledge both the positive and negative consequences of that action. And like I said before, you may not have to like change a whole lot if it's super positive or if you end up offending the right people or with something you make, like you, you just need to acknowledge that you had a hand in that, that you are responsible for what you make from jaws what do you think filmmakers can learn in order to make that kind of film that that gives them that kind of uh impact or responsibility what can we take away from like the film itself this comes from just a little bit of background knowledge i have on the film not the film just at surface value but steven spielberg after this movie said he would never film on the water again because <laughs> 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 it was he said it was such a pain in the butt but he made it and he didn't know what he didn't know I obviously mean that you need to take some chances. Like you need to, if you don't know something, like try it. Like you need to make whatever you want to make and don't really think too much about how you're going to do it. Because sometimes that's the best way to learn something is by making a mistake. Now, the mistake that Spielberg said he made was filming on the water. He never wants to do it again, but he executed it. I thought pretty well. He didn't know. <laughs> he was 26 when he made Jaws. Like, Nobody knows what they're doing at 26. Like, and nobody knows what they're doing at 34 either, just to be, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, it's just these kind of lessons from making a film like this can be so valuable to filmmakers because it was such a stretch. It was a natural stretch for him to make this film. And in that, in that uncomfortability, you grow both as a person and as an artist, I think. There's that idea that you mentioned earlier that I think is really interesting. The idea of you alleviate the terror by understanding it mm -hmm. or by getting a better, getting a better sense of it. Um, can you expand on this idea a little bit? 
we recorded an episode on the film Hereditary. Oh God! Which, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, which uh, I vowed I'd never see that film again, and yet I had to for this podcast, and I'm never going to see it for a third time. Is my new vow. But that that conversation was a lot about how horror is not always about a boogeyman. It's sometimes it's about the things that are very close to us and the experiences that we've all shared. I feel like it kind of ties into this idea a little bit because. I think this idea of alleviating terror by understanding the terror works in terms of the genre. You know, what you said, you alleviate the terror of the shark by getting a bit of a better understanding of who the shark is and and what the shark does. And then you also alleviate the terror of doing something crazy like filming out on the water by doing it, by like, you know, just jumping headfirst. If I'm afraid or I think something's dumb or negative or whatever, like the best way for me to change those, alter those feelings is to understand something more. And in this movie, the obvious example is the shark. The, the wild thing about watching this movie in a global pandemic is that you can replace the shark with COVID. Yeah, I remember when I, for, I watched this film, like right at the, around the time of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was shockingly prescient. Like, yeah ridiculously so yeah the bounty gets placed on a shark and you have everybody in town everybody from the mainland coming to this island to then go out into the water and fish with dynamite uh shoot it with a shotgun like it it's equated to using horse dewormers to try and treat your COVID. like that's that's what it is it's like they don't these people these people don't understand what is actually happening and so they take it upon themselves to figure out without enough knowledge how to go about fixing or solving the problem. There's a difference between not understanding something and not wanting to understanding something. But I'm, I'm not like differentiating between those two. I'm just saying in order to possibly be less afraid of something is to understand it. There are certain instances where the more we understand, the more scary something gets. But I feel like the fear of the unknown is probably, I mean, at least for me, it's the biggest fear that I have with things. Like, you know, even if it's like, where, where is my life? It it could be existential on some level or something like that. That's my belief is that if you try to understand something more, you become less afraid of that uncertainty, even if you find out exactly, exactly what it is. And it is terrifying. I think it's better to know what it is than not. And I think with filmmaking, I think you could apply to just making those films. Like you said earlier, like if you don't know what you're doing, who, who the hell cares? I tell students all the time whenever I teach, I said, don't be afraid to suck because you're going to, you're going to be bad. And that's okay. Cause everybody was bad at one point, but how do you get better? And that's that same thing of like them tackling something they don't know or don't understand. Then they do it and they learn it and they understand it. And then they go on to be better because they understand something and they're less afraid to take chances. And that's what their fear is when it comes to aspiring filmmakers is probably failure. I would say, 85% is probably failure. <laughs> Were you ever like afraid of, of sharks at all? Was there ever that fear for you? Yeah. Um, and it came from my own doing. Um, I decided to watch a bunch of Shark Week episodes and then go to the beach. <laughs> and I was like, do I want to go swimming right now? <laughs> I don't know. Like you watch, you know, you watch stuff like, like shows like Air Jaws where it's the South African sharks jumping out of the water and grabbing these seals and they're like jumping like, like 10 feet in the air it's crazy and then they'll have shows on like shark preservation and then at 9 p.m and then at 10 p.m it's shark attack file 17 and it's like this is 
it's dumb programming that happens. It's dumb programming half the time. But Discovery Channel, I love you. However, you had issues with Shark Week. You had issues <laughs> with it. Um, but yeah, it was just my own doing. Like I'm watching a show called Shark Attack Files, and I'm at the beach. Like, right? A, why would I? Why would I do that? And also, like, the likelihood of still getting attacked by a shark is is there's a, a, an absurd stat of more people are killed by uh, vending machines falling over than are attacked by sharks. Each <laughs> and 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 so through this through this this fear, did Jaws help you? to understand that fear jaws didn't because it's literally a movie about being terrified by a shark but jaws inspired me to then go learn more about sharks like it wasn't immediate it just showed me like like i mentioned earlier i can use the same jurassic park example earlier like as you're a kid you love dinosaurs and even if you're not like love dinosaurs this movie inspired a bunch of people to sign up to be paleontologists you know and i like to think jaws had the same impact for a lot of people now they didn't go on to be ichthyologists or anything like that but they might go on to be more appreciative and more understanding and at least have a better sense of wonder about what's in the ocean i personally find that this film there is an element of this film about sort of coming to understand the creature mm -hmm. like i mean that 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 scene you know where all the boaters are going out and trying to you know fish out the you know trying to destroy the shark or whatever mm -hmm. you have to contrast that so fascinatingly with quint he obviously wants to kill the shark but he probably understands that animal 10 times better than any of those other people do 100 and i think that's why like his character is kind of fascinating and why his end is so tragic because mm -hmm. he does sort of have this love story it is like love hate story with this creature with the creature of the shark and i think by like i think the the reason why this movie works really well is that the 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 shark is sort of less of a horror movie monster in, by the end and more of its own character i think uh by the end who has his own strategies and motivations and like yeah. and i love that the movie is always like this is what the shark is doing this is why he's doing all these things it's not just like ah terror you know like there's a yeah there's a methodology behind everything i think it's it's more of, it's more of a character in me because i literally am watching a movie i think that's what it is i think because i'm watching a movie and this is an early early film as far as the world's understanding of this animal it inherently be, becomes a monster. Like this is, this is a monster movie. And you do that by targeting individuals as well. Like it's not a massacre. Like it's not, it's not blind. You're like, you're introduced to every one of the shark's victims. It's the same reason why um, uh, you have like uh, uh, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers. Like it's, it's, uh, it's one entity hunting down another entity, and then we'll go for another entity. Like, it's very personalized. You get to see the individuals involved in all of these killings, like, one-on-one. -on -one. And I think for the character of that shark, like, he's very, like, what's he going to do? He, he's going to eat, and he's going to swim. And that's about, oh, and make a little shark babies, as Hooper says. And that's all you need to know about this particular monster. But for some reason, he's a little smarter. And that's what I think it makes it, that much more terrifying like as a character is that yes the shark does all these things but he's actually smart like he <laughs> he'll he'll turn around to go back to the guy that's swimming in the water he's got multiple barrels attached to him but he doesn't care he's going to try and swim down as hard as he can to pop those up and nobody thinks he can swim with all those barrels on him then he starts ramming the boat like and all of it is is grounded in what the animal would actually do but because 
we're introduced to the shark is doing something that's a little abnormal to what is actually happening. It makes it that much more terrifying, I think. And as a character, like I don't find myself over rooting for the shark, but I find myself <laughs> appreciating what he's doing. I'm like, oh, this the son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> the one scene I think that uh, differentiates this shark as being a monster as opposed to just like a shark that lives in the ocean is the scene where the guys tried to fish off the pier with the roast. Yes. And the holiday roast. We better catch something. This is my wife's holiday roast. Don't worry about it. $3,000 buys an awful lot of roast. The creepiest and just I laugh because it's so terrifying whenever I watch it is that first half of the dock just floating out and then all of a sudden it just it just turns around like that's so terrifying because you're like, why is that turning? Like you think, what? why that thing's not turning around on its own. It's the shark that's coming for it. And then there's that there's that element of that unknown is you're like, is is the shark going to get that guy? And, he, you know, he ultimately doesn't. It's a nice, fun scare because there's no death at the end of that scene. Um, but it's just like this individual shark is more of this monster um, than what actually lies in the ocean. I've said earlier that this movie, going back to like the COVID topic, is like this movie is actually kind of a perfect encapsulation of that. It's a perfect encapsulation of a lot of things about the real world. There are things that scare us and there are people who almost accept just being scared by it and then determine that they don't understand it, they won't understand it, they don't want to understand it, and will then act on their basic urges. And then there are people that want to understand something a little bit more. Now, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's uh, an, an individual person, whether it's a concept, I feel like not to get on an Apple box with this thing, but I feel like this is a, this is a film that is a perfect um, opportunity to be viewed as something that can convey the importance of understanding something more. And I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's all I got, man. That is how we conquer our fear of the unknown through understanding what scares us by learning and taking stock and making informed decisions. You wouldn't think a giant shark named Bruce would be the one to teach that to us, but hey, it taught Taylor, and now he takes that idea of understanding and channels it in a very different way into his wonderful podcast, The Film Nuts Podcast. I should know, I was on it. I got to gush all about one of my favorite films, Liar Liar. And trust me, that choice requires a lot of um, understanding as we've been calling it. Uh, I'll link that episode in the show notes. Don't be shy. Give it a listen and follow Taylor's show, The Film Nuts Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we go, I would be remiss to not plug our incredible Discord community. We are a group of passionate, positive movie lovers who want nothing more than to just have a place to talk and watch movies together. In fact, just last week, Taylor joined us for a Jaws watch party as our guest of honor, and it was awesome. Some people who were with us got to see the film for the very first time. Nothing beats experiencing watching a film with someone for the first time. Let me tell you, the My Favorite Movie Is Discord community is completely free of charge and incredibly easy to join. You just click on the link in the show notes and follow Discord's simple instructions. Even if you've never used Discord before, if you've never even heard of Discord before now, it only takes minutes to join. And you're going to want to join us for our next watch parties, including but not limited to The Mummy and Children of Men, the latter of which we are covering on our show next time with senior video editor at BioWare and co-host of Beyond the Screenplay, 
Alex Cayetos. And who knows, he may even make an appearance at the watch party. Join us for those events and more by clicking on the link in the show notes. We can't wait to see you there. My Favorite Movie Is is a Larry Freed Presents production. The show is created by and is currently hosted and produced by me, Larry Freed, and this episode was edited by Fernando Queiroz. Our graphic designer is Monica Sarmiento. Our motion graphics designer is Elton Greenfield. And our theme song, Now and Then, as well as all original music featured on this episode, was composed and performed by Mac or Duke. A special thanks to Taylor for being an incredible guest and for being so generous with his time. And another special thanks to our patrons. Charles, Keith, Mo, Tony, Sean, Taylor, yes, this Taylor, and Daniel. You guys are the reason that this show keeps on chugging even after an extended hiatus. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been your host, Larry Freed. Thank you so much for listening to My Favorite Movie Is. Is.